This week, we're figuring out how the fuck to get your finances in order and talking money, salary, and stocks. Hi, welcome back to the Cardamom Pod from Kajal Magazine, where we're talking news, culture, and the internet from a brown perspective. I'm Anushka Patil. And I'm Nadia Agrawal. We took a little break, but it feels so good to be back. This week, we're talking about money and why it feels like no one is talking about it, like to us anyway. We have Ludi Leva and Amber Jamison here today, but before we get into it, let's check in. How are you doing, Nadia? I am good. I'm like taking stock of my life right now, which I think is a sort of constant state for writers, just forever introspective but i just started a writing workshop that i'm really excited about i'm hoping that it'll like <laughs> i have a lot of expectation it's gonna like fix all the issues in my writing which is absolutely not gonna happen but i'm holding on anyway um and i'm just like taking more time to like invest in myself i think for a really long time i'm realizing that i had this idea that i wouldn't live past 30 not like in a morbid way but just like i didn't think about my life past 30 but now I'm like realizing that people d make a lot of changes and transformations throughout their lifetimes and that who I am at 27 isn't going to be who I am at 45 in career, in any situation. So And you have to like prepare for that. Right. I have to like give myself the tools to like be successful in all the different types of lives that I have. And I'm just like coming into that realization like a month ahead of my birthday. <laughs> That'll do it. I think I'm in a really similar space, actually. I've just kind of started to, yeah, like invest in my in my life, like in my simple things, like just investing in my room and like looking for things that make me happy. And it, it's just about a sense of like permanence. You're sparking like, joy. Yeah, like I'm spark <laughs> sparking joy, but it's just like, okay, I actually am gonna be around like alive for a while. I actually am gonna be in this industry for a while. I actually am gonna be in this apartment for a while and like, that is worth investing in. Like my happiness is worth investing in. Um, and actually I, f I feel like a huge reason I've been able to do that and I've been thinking about that lately is like for once I feel financially stable for like maybe the first time in my life, um, which is crazy. It's like opened up this world for me that I didn't know was possible. Like I didn't know it was like possible to not always be like terrified of like, oh my God, I'm gonna lose my job like tomorrow, which like I'm still scared of. Like or everyone like in media should be. paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. You know, and like, and so I think that's why I'm glad we're talking about money today because it it feels like this thing that has this like massive impact on your emotional, mental, physical health and like, we just don't talk about it enough. It's like as dirty and as needed as our sex talk on the last episode. Yes. Like, I think that there's just something about this topic that people just naturally turn off, tune out or whatever. Like, and it just really does us all a disservice because we're not being honest about any of these things that are a part of being on this planet at this moment. And it's wild because like, so uh, Gabby Dunn's podcast, um, which I love is called um, <laughs> Bad With Money. And she, at the sort of beginning of the series, like did this segment where she talked about how like, once she like went around to like a bar and like asked everyone what their favorite sex position was and like people were like super down to like, you know, they were like down to share and like everyone got in on it. And then she asked them how much money they had in their bank account and people were like 
just so uncomfortable and we're like that's a deeply personal question like yeah. why would you and it's like wild that like we don't the only people that it serves to like not talk about money is the people who already have money right and I'm realizing this as well because like there's so many companies that have a problem with you sharing your salary with your coworkers, and this is like a huge problem especially for women of color and for queer people of color because like we're already locked out of negotiations for the mm-hmm. most part like we might think that we're getting the upper hand but we never really are and like if you don't even know what people next to you are making how can you possibly ask for better for yourself? And like, I mean, I think that the culture is changing. Like I know New York City passed various ordinances that mean like, or laws or mandates or whatever that mean that companies can't ask for your salary history. But that's that shit still like follows you job to job. Your sense of value and your worth in your position is however much you're paid. And like whether or not, you know, that changes in your next role, you will still somehow be tied to that experience. and. I mean, if money didn't so specifically align to like how we operate, like if it didn't di- dictate our entire lives to some extent, like maybe it would be less dirty, but it does feel inherently shameful. I think like, I mean, I think about the fact that a lot of my peers have student loans and I don't, cause like I was really lucky and my parents paid for school for me, undergrad and grad school, which is unheard of and such a privilege. But like, and like in the beginning there was a sense like, oh, well maybe I shouldn't tell people that because maybe it will like disvalue what I'm saying because I didn't struggle as hard as everybody else. But now I'm like realizing like that just gave me like a head start on things. And that means I need to like work harder for pe- other people to like if I can to help them in the way that they need to. So it's like, there's something about money that does this to us. For it's sure. It's, it's a really emotional, like surprisingly emotional thing. And it bleeds into like, yeah, it bleeds into the way you see yourself, how, how valued you feel like you are at work. It bleeds into friendships, relationships, um, and like families, right? Like it all starts with our families and how you were raised, like how what your sort of family culture around money was. Mm-hmm. So Nadia, I'm curious, like where do you feel like your financial education came from or didn't come from? I mean, my dad was like a big part of this. And like, we really felt the loss when he passed away that like, oh, he really handled all of our finances and like really gave us a lot of guidance on what we should be doing with those finances. Like he was like, he would trade stocks as a hobby. He like knew all about like IRA accounts and things like that. And like now as an, and he also used to like hold my hand through my taxes every year. You know, like a lot of what I learned about being independent, I got from like following his, his model and um so it's like we're all kind of learning now how to how to take care of ourselves and I'm still trying to fill in the gaps because he wasn't able to teach me everything before he passed away and it's like a bittersweet thing to like try to like learn how to do things that he would have been there to help me with but like it's also like it needs to be done and it's a little bit empowering to like suddenly understand what people are talking about yeah what about you I think Honestly, I think, like, the vast majority of it happened in the past, like, two years. Like, since I've had a job and, like, been working full-time. I think I grew up in a family that really didn't talk about money. I think, like, you know, a lot of immigrant families, like, a lot of women of color um, don't, <laughs> don't know what the family finances are like at all. So, like, my mom, you know, didn't really know anything about how much money was coming in, how much money was going out, like what the, the bank account information was, you know, and, and so I deny there. And I think like I grew up with this kind of fear that like we could be destitute at any point, like whether or not that was true, it, it's just because I didn't have any information. And so I think I, in the past couple of years, like 
really what triggered it for me was like knowing that I was going to have to start negotiating my salary like once I started getting full-time positions and it launched this like sort of deep exploration for me into like figuring out like okay what the fuck is like like do I need a savings account like can I can I even afford to have savings right now Mm -hmm. like what the fuck is my credit score like Mm -hmm. how and and I think actually I went through like a long period of feeling very honestly very bitter and frustrated because I felt like I grew up with a lot of people whose parents had managed their finances for them and were continuing to manage their finances for them. And I was just like, I don't have access to any of this information and I don't know where you're getting it from. And I feel like I'm just drowning and Mm -hmm. like, I don't know how to do any of this. And so actually like a lot of what I've learned has come from like women and women of color who write about money on the internet. Like Ludi is one one of these people, you know? And that's why I think it's so valuable that, like, we're all sharing things, like, that my colleagues, like, are sharing their salaries with me. I'm sharing my salary with them. It it really, like, I think financial education is one of those things that, like, has to be a collective community experience. And and I think that's actually very specific to, like, marginalized people. I don't think that, honestly, I don't don't think that, like, more privileged groups of people... um, have in, have a vested interest in sharing information the way we do. Right. We have to all be like the immigrant mom who got a good deal at the market and just like ready to like share and like yes. yell it. Like yeah. we need to know where the good deals are. We need to know how we're shortchanging ourselves or like how to fix those things. And like that's why I'm so excited for the conversations we have coming up. Like I think that these women are incredible at what they do in making information accessible to people who really, really have been locked out for too long. Yeah. I'm really excited to get into it. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. We have Ludi Leva in the studio with us today. Ludi writes for the Work and Money Vertical over at Irfani 29. You may know her from some of her amazing pieces on how women of color navigate the workplace and generally just a lot of dope and honest advice on how to make good financial decisions for people who have no idea. Thanks for joining us, Ludi. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. We're so excited. Yeah, I feel like this has like been a long time coming. Like we're friends outside the podcast, so it's kind of nice to be able to like bring some of the family in. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. So, I mean, I read, I think everything you've written, which is like hopefully not creepy, <laughs> but like it's given you this like I have really also done this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big fan. Oh my god, like thank this, you. Like holistic view of like what our experiences are like, kind of like seeing our experience, but like with other people involved, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like really curious, like looking at all of these different cases of like how people make money, how people operate in workplaces, like what is the biggest difference for women of color in the workplace that you've seen versus like white women or even white people generally? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, there's so many different tiers of experiences involved. Um, and I think the thing that I've noticed really is that we, we tend to get into this rhetoric of, you know, men in the workplace versus women in the workplace is this kind of catch all phrase, but there's just so many layers there. Um, and I think that's been the most interesting thing for me coming into the writing that I've been doing and just taking a look at how to be really piecing that apart and looking at different experiences and how different people are moving through these spaces. Um, so, you know, women of color face so many different challenges in the workplace and, um, you know, a lot of the times the, the content that we're seeing about white women in the workplace, it doesn't even begin to encompass some of the things that, that women of color face or immigrants face or, you know, other marginalized people are facing. Um, and 
you know, something that I've seen a lot is just, you know, being an only, what's being called like an only. So, you know, what does it mean to be occupying a space and being the only person that you see that looks anything like you? So whether that's, you know, the only black person or the only immigrant or the only trans person in a workplace or even the only woman in a workplace. Um, but, you know, that's something that, that I think has been a huge topic that's come up more and more because I think today there's just a lot of conversation about diversity and inclusion and, you know, I have a lot of a lot of qualms with that, just like that whole topic, because I think a lot of it is well-intentioned, but you know, what are we doing to support what people of color, women of color, when they're actually entering these spaces, you know, it's all well and good that you're, you know, trying to go out of your way to hire that like black person or hire that, you know, immigrant or, you know, person who, you know, is just different than, than the rest of your team or the rest of your staff, but what are you actually doing to create an environment that's actually welcoming and nurturing for these people. Um, so that's, you know, I mean, that's kind of like a huge umbrella, but it's just, you know, thinking about how we're actually supporting people in the workplace. And I think that's, that tends to be, you know, the biggest theme with a lot of the, the women that I speak with. It's just, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that diversity doesn't, you know, it's, you're not just, you don't get to check something off once you hire someone who's diverse, quote unquote, because, you know, a lot of these people are entering these spaces and they're like the only person that looks like them or they don't really feel like they can, you know, connect with people on a certain level. Um, I wrote a piece, uh, I think last fall about, you know, authenticity at work and like, what does it actually mean to be authentic as a person of color in the workplace? And I think it really hit a lot of nerves, um, including my own, just because I think... Did you hurt your own feelings? I, 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 I was in my feelings because it's like, you know, I think it's this buzzword. There's just so many buzzwords about work in general. And that's another thing that I've been like, oh my God, like, just like, because I get an insane amount of PR pitches and all this stuff and everyone's like try, all buzzy about everything. But like, yeah, a big one is, you know, being authentic at, in the workplace or like, you know, being your authentic, bringing your authentic self to work. I think that's the phrase. Um, that and so it's too like, like, right. And it's like, what does that do mean that? when you're like the only person who looks like you and like, can you be authentic fully when you're, you know, surrounded by people who have no idea what it's like to, to move through the world in your experience? Like, well, what and does surrounded that mean? by people who literally control like whether or not you can pay your bills, whether or not you can pay your bills, whether or not you have any upward mobility in your space, you know, it's just like, so, I mean, it's complicated for anyone. And I have like feelings about whether like women in general can be authentic in the workplace. Cause it's just like kind of a shit show but yeah it's like for people of color it's just especially complicated especially if you don't have a community within the space like confines of your office your open office right I love the conversation around diversity hiring like both on both sides of it like I've literally sat in an interview with like multiple women at this company trying to decide like if we're both a good fit for each other and I asked them with like very pointedly towards the people of color the women of color present like is this a diverse environment and they knew what I was talking about they right. were like yeah 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 like we were you know we're taking steps we're going to be hiring these people like it feels like this and then this white woman in the interview was like and we also have like diversity of experiences like people come from different professional <laughs> backgrounds oh my and God. it's like why would flag. I care about that like w that's not what I was asking at all like when I say diversity, I mean one thing specifically. And then the other side of it, of being hired at a place that is quote-unquote diverse, that includes, like, crazy, you know, 30 40% representation of people of color, is that even in those spaces, even when they, like, sell themselves to you as, like, a space for people of color, is that there really isn't a lot of support, and it still feels exploitative. Mm -hmm. There's still an element where they don't know how to, like, monitor their language or how they approach you, where it feels like, oh, they're taking my ideas, Oh, they hired me to like add this like 
veneer to their work. Yeah. And it fundamentally, I I think there's something substantially missing in workplace culture. Absolutely. I mean, and don't even get me started on just like the, the divide between this like well-meaning and often like there's these companies that have this exterior or this brand image that is perceived to be super progressive and super inclusive and the problem with that is the people inside the organization also internalize that themselves and believe themselves to be kind of past that you know like we're we're, you know we're super feminist or intersectional or whatever kind of word they want to throw around but then you know you're still I've still talked to women and they you know they're this black woman that I spoke to recently, you know, she she was saying something and her white colleague at like a very like feminist workplace called her sassy. Like mm-hmm. and you know, she was so taken aback because she was like, What like hold up, like what did I even just like hear? What like what am I supposed to do about it? And she didn't end up saying anything because she didn't feel this person she was subordinate to this person, so she was like, Is it even worth, you know, picking a battle over this? Yeah. And like just the amount of times that you have to kind of just swallow and be like, Is this worth it? Like, am I going to jeopardize my career? Am I going to burn a bridge? And like how do you navigate these things? I've had to work I've worked in extremely liberal spaces that are like politically liberal spaces that are read political spaces that are liberal. And <laughs> I have still had to sensitivity check people constantly as like one of the few people of color present often one of like the only women of color present like i've been in places where i had to be like you can't say that muslim women are oppressed you can't do this you can't do that because they don't know how to like filter those things and it comes down to you to make sure that they're not putting out shitty content that then victimizes the audience and it's like why i'm not getting paid more to do this important like filtering work it's literally like those the that's a job that's, yes. a, that's a whole that's other a whole, job that's a whole career. Job. That that's to be paid that's like an equity position yeah. yes. and like sure i mean companies that uh, that are sort of signaling that they're progressive like i'm not gonna <laughs> name names but this is like pretty much every media company you can think of like <laughs> hires they hire women they hire women of color they hire queer people so that they can you know it's easy to meet it's easy to meet diversity quotas and like the sad things that most companies don't even meet those but but then they're literally profiting off what feels like oh xyz company is really good at this coverage and right. it's like it's one person it's like one person that they hired who's like not getting paid enough who maybe isn't even full-time and doesn't get benefits like and then that serves the company's bottom line right how or like how many times at companies are you you know the only black woman and you're like suspiciously getting pulled into all the stock photo shoots for all their decks <laughs> right. and like things like that or like immediately pounced on because they want you to be the face of their you know because of that cachet that comes with oh we're you know a diverse or putting staff. black women and queer people on the social media team so they can co-op the aesthetics and the language of those communities yes that's another in big order one. to be like more hip and contemporary like there is such a sense that like we are devalued in the workplace, but then also valued to a point where we don't get paid for it. Like we are valued yeah. in an intangible way for ourselves. Like they want us for all of these things, but they don't want to pay us for all of those things. Mm-hmm. And like, that's just fundamentally what it comes down to every single time. Absolutely. What if you're, um, I'm curious, I feel like you hear so many stories from, from women in, in different situations. And like what, what is the biggest thing you have learned or like can tell our listeners about like how to actually get paid for that shit, like get paid for your labor. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. So I basically, I feel really privileged in my position because I get to literally just talk to people all the time and like learn from them and, and hear their experiences and really just, you know, weave that into, 
into all the writing that I do. Um, that said, like there's a lot of upsetting, you know, upsetting shit that is happening. Um, you know, I just, so I produce two, two, um, two series in particular. One is called Six Figure Paycheck and one's called Salary Stories. Uh, and I talk to women every single week about the, the former is about women who are making over six figures and how they got to be in that position because so few women are actually making over six figures in this country. And then the second one is about just, I basically talk to women from, uh, from the moment that they graduated college up until now, usually women who are kind of mid career. So around like 30 or older about how, about each step of their career and where they got to like a certain salary, what they started off at, how they learned to negotiate, if at all, because I still talk to women who have never negotiated a position or an offer. Um, and yeah, it's upsetting. You know, you just see the, I mean, it's, it's, it's double-sided because on one side you see it, a lot of growth and that's really inspiring. I think the conversations are really changing around salary transparency and around, you know, asking for, for what you're really worth. Um, but I think that's also challenging because a lot of us don't know what we're really worth or we don't like fully step in. It's kind of a scary thing to be like, you know, I talked to a lot of women who they're just terrified to, you know, potentially close the door or lose a job offer for negotiating. And I've actually spoken to women who have lost job offers for negotiating. And that's another story that I'm working on currently. Um, you know, there's a few people out there who have tried to negotiate for a position and then the offer has been rescinded. And like that just sends shockwaves through like all these networks of women because like, what the fuck? And it goes against the conventional wisdom, which is always, always, always ask right. for more. And like, that's still what I sort of like tell my friends and tell my networks. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's a privileged position to be in to not have to worry about facing any backlash. Like but right. that, that being said, like, would you want to go into a workplace that isn't going to like communicate with you? Yeah. Cause like, that's also like a red flag to me. Like that's like before you even start the job, they're not willing Dodged to talk to you. Totally. Yeah. Like the, yeah. The, probably the office culture isn't going to be good for you. But, like I've negotiating is such a weird thing because like not only is there the psychological warfare of deciding like how much to ask for whether you are worth that much or not mm -hmm. but also like on their side i feel like secretly they're as freaked out as you are when you ask to negotiate because i once was negotiating for a salary and i saw that the they gave me like a range of numbers and they quoted me they gave me like the, the offer letter and it was like the lower range and i was like wait i saw the higher range also there like i saw like the upper band of what you were saying right. and i want that and um she was like, uh, I don't really like, I mean, I can give you like, f like five grand towards that. Like not, not the full 10 grand range, but like I can give you five grand. And I'm like, okay, I had to like, I'll have to think about that. Right. And then I like hung up and then like not even like five minutes later, she called me up. She's like, okay, I can do it. I just yeah. checked. I can do it. Like there's like some, they also like have that desperation. It's and about, oh, I, it's all it about, is. yeah, it's about who has the power in that situation. It's crazy. To, to know, I mean, there's so many resources, obviously, on the internet. Like, there are little, like, scripts that you can find about, like, how to negotiate. But even knowing to look for that stuff mm -hmm. is hard. Like, I'm thinking about that. Um, there was a, a Business Insider <laughs> piece that was, like, some, like, hiring, edit, some editor had written about, like, how her one rule is that she doesn't hire people oh who, don't who don't write thank, thank you letters. You know? yeah. yeah. And it's, like, that is the most, like, th I mean, this is, like... <laughs> feels like the the most like white corporate thing right which is like we love diversity and we love hiring people from all backgrounds but like if you didn't get the cultural education to like know how to navigate a job offer and like the interview process then like you're well, shit out of luck for you. also yeah. what a thank you note means is like i'm groveling to some extent like thank you so much for making the time to consider hiring me fuck that like <laughs> 
There's something love like, to live in like a reverse world where like workers have the power. Yeah. Like that's so antiquated. Like even as a concept that like repulses me. I'm just like, you should thank me for taking out time from work to come in and talk to you. Like And to complete usually a lot of free labor. Right. All yes. those applications. That's a whole other thing. And like give you free ideas for basically no guarantee. Of right. For sort. zero guarantee. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. I mean, I think that hiring practices are mostly bullshit. I think they're really, yeah, they're tough. But like going back to like the the ghosting situation or the the offer, like the the rescindment, rescinding of the mm-hmm. offer, you know, like what what does that mean if you don't have if you've given your notice and you don't have something else lined up right. too? Like it, it it comes with an immense amount of you know some people can weather that and some people in some cases have been able to get their job back after getting giving their notice, but. I just think that's like an important piece there because not everyone has something lined up or maybe their previous employer is right. like, nope, bye. You already gave your notice. You know, you never know. It's like mm-hmm. super scary. But um, but yeah, anyways, I think I think people are just, women are learning to negotiate a lot more. And I think it's a scary thing because I mean, I think hire, the hiring process is messed up. Like you said, like it's it's just. I think it, it is a two-way street. You know, employers, especially p- people of color, like, we we create culture. We create, you know, all these things that these companies profit off of. And they're fucking lucky to have us, you know? So I think it is a two-way street, and it should be treated more like one. It shouldn't be this feeling of you feeling like you have to grovel and say thank you for considering, you know, but, but then again, like most of us do it because that's what's expected. And it's kind of a weird thing. Cause it's like, you do want to have that respect there, but at the same time, it's like, if it's not mutual, like that doesn't feel good. Yeah. I think the only solution is for more marginalized people to own their own shit and to have and good to hiring, hiring practices. Managers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Be hiring managers, have equity, own your own businesses. Yep. Just like, that's what we're trying to move towards. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ludi, for coming in and talking to us. This was so clarifying. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Where can our listeners find you? Uh, You can find me on social media, on Twitter or Instagram at at Ludi Leva. So L-U-D-I-L-E-I-V-A. And um, my website's LudmilaLeva.com. And you can contact me there about like writing or illustration. I do some illustration stuff. Yeah. Hire Ludi. (laughs) (laughs) Hire her. Pay her. Pay all of us. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Hi, welcome back. We're here with Amber Jamison, who's a breaking news reporter and the writer of Better Have My Money, a newsletter about investing for newbies. Hi, Amber. Hi, Amber. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. You are our first white person on the podcast. <laughs> That's just bad, but thank you. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's, it's a compliment. It's a great honor. Um, okay, tell us a little bit about your newsletter and like why you started it. Because I don't know anything about socks, stocks, and I still don't own one, but I also read it all the time, and I'm like obsessed with it. I like feel like I'm just absorbing knowledge. Living vicariously until through this newsletter? Yes, yes. I'm just like absorbing knowledge until I'm ready to do it. That thrills me because that's what I feel like a lot of the readers are. So basically, it's a weekly newsletter that I do. Um, It's about stocks and investing. Often, it's just about like my feelings a little bit more and kind of like things that you should think about when it comes to money, Um, as well as a bit of practical stuff of like, what do these terms mean? What is like, 
you know, what does the S&P 500 mean? Like, what are any of these, like, stock terms that you may have heard? And, like, how does one buy a stock? What does that even mean to own one? How do you make money from it? So it's really just, like, trying to tell people such as myself and I guess you as well, um, like, how money investing specifically works since from everything I can see and read and, and learn, it's the most safe way for us to actually earn money long term if, like me, you can't just go and buy real estate. See, that feels crazy to me because I think I've always thought about stocks and investing as something that was like level 500 of like knowing about money. Like I just, of all the things that I feel like I could do to get my personal finance like in order, stocks have never felt like they just seem too complicated completely and that part of that is that like we don't really get any basic financial education of how the stock market works which is insane because it's this huge dominant part of like how the economics in our society work and like can you imagine if there was just like a high school class that was just like here is the stock market here's how you could buy a stock like we would all have insane amounts of money thanks to like compound interest over time. Like if you had bought stocks when you were like 15, like it would be incredible. Um, So yeah, I really think like a lot of it, it sort of is shown as this like Wall Street, you know, like Wolf on Wall Street, like men slamming down phones and like all the like, I think of those, um, you know, like during the global financial crisis and like the recession in 2008 and it was all just like gifts of like crying brokers. Every like Wire photo mm-hmm. was just like white bros in suits. Yeah. Like, but so that felt so like not like me or not like anybody I knew. And then suddenly I was like, I had some friends that started doing it. And I was like, wait, we can do this? Like I can buy a stock? I didn't even know I could buy one. But there's so much gatekeeping involved in this. Like part of the appeal of it must have been keeping people like us out of it. 100%. Once I started like getting into it and getting interested and excited. And like it started from um, friends of mine in Australia um, made a bunch of money on wheat stocks. They were up 300% in like a few months. And I was like, what do you mean your money has like tripled? Like, how is that possible? Which to be clear is not normal at all. Um, But like I, the more I started learning, the more I was like, this is really fun. Buying a stock is kind of like when you're like, like it's like the final seconds of like an eBay like auction (laughs) and you're like, can I win? And you're like, Oh my God, I got the price I wanted. And the whole time I was like learning more about it and like realizing like I'd open my account and I'm like, I've made 50 bucks today doing nothing. Like I just sat here and my money just increased. Some days I've been up hundreds of dollars in a day and I'm like, this is the greatest scam. But what I realized was that one, I didn't have any knowledge about the basics of it. And two, it kind of felt like people were keeping me out partly because it was this really fun thing that they didn't want anybody else to do. Like I was like, oh, the reason that guys are so into this, like the reason there's a bunch of white bros who have made this their career is because it's super fun and thrilling and like there's an adrenaline rush to it. And instead it's been like, oh, it's very confusing. You you can't know anything about that. Like it only deals with millions. When like that's not true. You can buy a stock for like a couple of dollars and you can make money in like a very small way. And I think it's always kind of been just not the basic information out there for people to understand that like this is a thing that you can do and having your money sit in a bank account earning two percent a year is literally just matching inflation like that's not getting you anywhere that's just making sure that like you're not losing money it's not gaining anything the stock market on average is up nine percent a year and so like the fact that we have all our money sitting in a savings account rather than having a chunk of it like actually increasing like you're losing out And I feel like that's the thing that people don't necessarily even know 
And so once I learned that, I was like, this is a scam from the beginning. And like, if I'm gonna, if there's, there's, if there's this huge world scam happening, then like, I want a part of it. Right. So I recently downloaded the Robinhood app mm-hmm. because um, my boyfriend really got into it. And of course, like all dudes, like he has to kind of pull me into all of his hobbies. I, I We talk about this all the time. Like, so she's the she's the, the stock obsessed person in her relationship. Yeah, my boyfriend has like, no, I've made him buy some stocks, and, right. but he doesn't get it. I want to, I do, I want to get into it for real. It's just that sometimes like it ha- takes like a bit of a shift to like move your brain power over to like be looking at. Like when I'm scrolling through my phone to be looking at Robinhood instead of like Twitter, like I'm. It's gonna take me a while. That's my personal journey. But what I've loved about it is that it gives you a free shitty stock to start off, and it's like a tamagotchi. You just like watch it, and you watch <laughs> it go up, and you watch it go down, and you just kind of see what's going on with it, and then figure out where like where the plateau is. And um, it's kind of it really like makes it. Maybe stocks are easier than we think they are, but it really makes it feel accessible. This is the thing. I think there's like a crap ton of stuff about stocks that aren't accessible like there's lots of things people will be like are you gonna talk about bonds and i'm like well i don't know what a bond is so (laughs) probably not it feels like the the way all financial education is talked about is like it's literally just written for like 50 year old white men who already have a billion dollars and don't need any more money and like meanwhile the rest of us are like literally what the fuck is a stock like uh, it just i think the thing that like your newsletter opened up for me and like reading more about personal finance opened up for me is like, oh, all these things that people are doing to just like make more money off their existing money, like literally doing nothing. Like why hasn't anyone told me about this? Well, that's it. And like, I think of it like, and to be clear, this is like, I, I, my stocks will probably drop down dramatically and all the rest of it. But right now in just over a year, I'm up 40% in my money in stocks. And like, that's insane. Like in what no other way would I have been able to have that kind of money and investment? And if you don't have a bunch of money, if you're if you only have like maybe a couple of hundred or like maybe a couple of thousand, like if you're lucky, then and like the idea of like getting a mortgage or something is just like a beyond your reach. To be clear, also if you have a mortgage, like hey, you should also have some stocks on the side because like you know, like you have a better access. You know, if you if you want some money, you can just sell some stocks. You can't just like sell your house instantly. Um, but like I just feel like there's there's like this basic knowledge and information that we kind of need to be able to teach people and show people so that they can kind of like feel empowered but genuinely like feel empowered to have the knowledge to like just try and make it within the system that we have when there's so many other parts of society that are kind of like crushing against you so if you can at least have this knowledge of like this is the basics of the market and this is how you can make some money off it long term then like it's helping people out for the rest of their lives. How do you how do you do that in an ethical way? Because I feel like so many people talk about like owning stocks and like like full disclosure, my partner owns um, Amazon stock, and I was like, "Bitch, are you for real? Like, the, literally, like the maybe like the most evil company in the world right now, and like you, oh, you know, and like Walmart though. Oh yeah, there's too many to and to like both count. of those stocks. Like I was looking at a thing today that like ranks like ethical companies, and both of those are regarded as like very ethical companies on like what a lot of like when you have sort of these. Uh, who is ranking that? Ch- well, <laughs> it's because it depends on what. Like for example, Walmart donates like a lot of money to charity and has some social programs. It also like pays its workers like a tiny amount of money and has like huge amount of workers on food stamps um same as amazon like you know they have like other policies that they can hold up as like here is how we're ethical companies maybe they have good environmental practices or and like often you'll see you know like major oil companies will have like great environmental like policies or like donations to places so it's really hard to judge for me i think what i realized when i tried to figure out 
like what I find ethical. It's your own ethics. Like it's very much what you personally are fine with or not fine with. So for me, I find um, the way that like white supremacy is allowed on social media, like just something that I'm not okay with and therefore I have no interest in investing in social media companies. For other people, they might think that like Facebook is a great investment because, you know, whatever, they are supportive of like Sheryl Sandberg being like having like a major uh, female in, in, in power. Um, same as like it can be depend on the industry that you care about. Maybe you care about like wages of how much, like what CEO pay is okay with you. So it really depends on like what your own ethics are, I think. And like it makes it harder because it's not necessarily like I wish there was like a list of companies that I'm like, these are the ones I feel good about. But like, but you know, like no company. I mean, no ethical consumption under capitalism. I mean, I kind of think of it as like stealing from a thief. You know, it's like yes. if I can make money off of this company, I'm not directly supporting what they're doing, nor am I like adding fundamentally to their profit margins. I'm just trying to get mine and run away. <laughs> like, and that's to- like a totally <laughs> valid way to do it because realistically, the all of the evidence shows that the best way to make money long-term on the stock market is just to buy these things called ETFs, which is basically just tracking the market. And so like you're just owning a tiny bit of all of the top companies as they, and you're getting, as it rises, you rise with them. That means you don't have any choice over what the companies are um, and that changes. So like in some ways, like that's the best way to make the money is literally just like going along with everybody else. Um, But you know, hey, maybe like for other people, like they really, and like it's also a way to like, it is kind of you get to like use your money you know like in the things you care about so if you value like a certain product or a certain industry like it's a way of being like hey maybe it's only f- 250 bucks but right. you know maybe it's a way of being able to like put that money like you know like you can buy stock in the new york times it's like pretty cheap like that could be a way of you being like i want to invest in journalism i mean beyond me it just went public exactly and i'm Ooh. here for vegan burgers and doing better for the environment not so here for like putting money in Bill Gates's pocket, but like, yeah, it's, it's a balance. Bill Gates it, owns Beyond Meat. He's one of the big investors, and you it's things what? as yeah, and it's like there's lots of stuff like Square have like they're the ones that do like you know like the credit card yeah on your yeah, phone readers. like it's a really great way like all these small businesses have been able to like develop in a way that they never would have been able to, but like the founder of Twitter is also like the founder of Square, so like there's pros and cons like maybe like and so it really depends like for you what is the most important I agree I'm like I'm super excited about Beyond Meat and like really interested in it Um, and like that's the thing I think I realized as well like I feel like it's not until you realize like like Spotify IPO'd last year Uber's coming out soon so is Lyft probably there's a bunch of like like you know like I have like stock in Nike and like stock in things that I like just enjoy myself as a consumer um like I don't like Starbucks but I like it when I'm traveling and so like I have stock in Starbucks and it's a way of like you know my boyfriend likes drinking Starbucks every day I always roll my eyes but now I'm like you know what you're right go and get my uh shareholder (laughs) money up please we need the profits go buy it I support this it does give you a stronger sense of how you are a player in this economy like you're able to translate like you said like your taste and your preferences into like a portfolio for yourself but also like you get to actually like, look at your politics under a microscope yes and you get to like see, like figure out what matters to you yeah and I mean like, it literally gives you a sense of ownership mm-hmm. over like I mean we all exist under this like fuck system and there's like nothing I mean there is stuff we can do about it but for the most part it feels like day to day this is a way of like being able to make your own choices at least in some small way. Or even to, like, make your money before everything comes crashing down. Yes, which, <laughs> I mean, like, right now, like, the, you know, like, 
Trump, like the he had comments over the weekend that sent the market down a little bit today. But like he's been talking about how like for him the number one thing is like growing the stock market. He wants to like drop interest rates specifically so the stock market will just like go go go. I think he sees it as like probably the best way that he can see a re-election. Like that, uh, you know, I'm like. Regardless of anything else, I'm like, well, at least I can make some money out of that part. Like, out of this hell. You know what I mean? Like, if everything going in. on, like, you know, like, I don't get to vote. I'm not an American, but like, I can at least like make some money with his like specific things he's trying to do, like, while everything else is going on as well. Yeah. Everything's burning, but we might as well get ours. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You get to build your bunker somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Amber, can you give us like a 30 second elevator pitch for why, like, marginalized people like specifically people who don't see a place for them in the stock market should like go download robin hood or whatever other app and just like buy a stock right now like where do you start and like why should you start so number one i think like downloading robin hood or an app like acorns it's a few different ones around is great the reason you should do it is that all the white dudes are already doing it and they've been doing it for years like you're already behind um and the number one thing that like you need when it comes to money and stocks and investing is time that is the biggest indicator of like how you can grow wealth is time. So you got to do it as quickly as you can because you need years to have that compound interest and have that money just grow, grow, grow. So you need to do it because literally everybody else is. If you have your money in just a savings account, it's not going anywhere. It is not growing. It is not going to be worth a single cent in 10 years than it is today. So you need to put money in investments and the like historically the way that you will see nine percent growth over time is the stock market amazing dope where can people find you on the internet bunch of places you can find me personally at ambij on twitter but subscribe to my newsletter at betterhavemymoney.substack.com you can also find me at behavemymoney on twitter Great. Nice. We'll, we'll put that information in our show notes as well. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. This was so good. It was a true honor. And I'm thank excited you. to go make money. Yes. All the white people are doing it. Let's go. <laughs> okay, we're back. And I think it's time for a no-nuzzer zone. It's been a minute. And there have been so many shitty stories and terrible takes that really deserve to be put in their place. Yeah. What do you have, Anushka? <sighs> <laughs> I think, um, there, so there's this piece that just came out in the Times about like the gender imbalance in household work and labor, which feels like a topic that we've beaten to death. And yet this piece managed to genuinely shock me. I was like reading it with my jaw dropped open. Um, the sort of premise of the piece is that is basically that like I think it says that um, at the rate we're going like despite all this talk and despite like us all feeling like yeah we've had this conversation at the rate we're going it would take 75 years for the the gender imbalance and like how household labor is split up to be rectified and the the author of the piece like talked to a lot of different families and talked to husbands and wives about like how they do it and the the first thing that she kind of found was that like the the husbands honestly did not know there was a problem. Like she would have these conversations with the wives where they were so frustrated and like so, you know, deeply upset about like how things were going. And then the men would be like, I think we're doing great, you know? And and she kind of breaks it down into like three reasons why this imbalance exists. And the first is that men um, men assume that they are just like, they're they're not gonna do the work adequately enough, right? And And she kind of specifically says, this is not the situation where like, 
women standards are too high it's just like the bare minimum that like men willful helplessness yes exactly um and the second reason is that like the couple's priorities are different and like by priorities I dif- are different i mean like one of the women quoted in the article was literally like it's a priority for me for my kids to get to school on time and like not fall asleep in class and like that's not a priority for my husband i'm <laughs> Right. <gasps> I can't, like, my blood has been boiling for, like, 24 hours. Like, my blood pressure is just, like, through or the Or, like, when, when dudes say, like, oh, she's, like, on her own timeline or something like that. Like, yeah. oh, like, it's not a priority for me because, like, I do things in my own time. Mm-hmm. Like, stuff like laundry and dishes and things that need to get done or they, like, are bad for the, your environment. Like, that was ridiculous to me, too. Yeah. Like, as if that's, like, a substantial excuse. Yeah. And the third reason... Um, is that a lot of these men blamed um, the imbalance on their wives' personalities. Like, this is the part where I was just, like, mind exploding. Literally, this, one of the husbands was quoted as saying um, that... Uh, it that it has to do with her personality and that like his wife just needs to be engaged like she just needs to stay busy and so she like I don't know like I guess he thinks that like, she like comes up with all this like shit to like do we're all like house. controlling bitches like we just need or that like, to be we like enjoy housework like there's nothing else she'd I am happy to relinquish housework that is not part of like who I think y- I am exactly yeah like <laughs> and, and just that like these these women like their wives are like uptight or like see things in a certain like. I don't know, just have this, like, natural instinct or, like, need for, for things to be done a certain way. And, like, um, so, anyway, I've been extremely upset about this because I think it's, the, my, my biggest shock with it was, like, the audacity of these men to, like, fully, in a New York Times article that everyone is going to read. That everyone is going to read. Like, it is, like, in print to say that the issue is their wives' personalities. It's because they don't give a shit. Like, they have, they're shame. so far gone. They do not care. They're willing to say that their children are not priorities, that their children's success is not a priority to them, that that is women's labor. Mm-hmm. It just blows my mind that these, like, uh, I, like I was saying earlier, I don't know how these marriages are going to survive the publication of this article. And the sad thing is that, like, you know, a lot of these women actually were asked, like, okay, so how do you how do you cope with this? And, and one of them said something along the lines of, like, look, we've had this fight. Like, I've tried to get him to understand and, like, how much convincing can you do? Which is the darkest... <laughs> the darkest timeline. The darkest timeline. Like, I... Someone tweeted at me that, like, heterosexuality is, like, the biggest scam. And I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm it, sorry. It requires... Oh, and I hate saying this, but I also feel like this is the actually appropriate word. It requires a lot of training. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of, like, sitting down with a dude and being like, listen, you think that what you're doing is cute, and it's not cute. Like, you need to know how to do this thing. You need to stop asking me for help. You need to stop asking me where things are or and whether I we have onions or whatever the But the thing the is, like, I never want to be in that position. Like, I never want to feel like I'm my partner's mother, you know? Right, and, like, that's totally real. There's something about this, though, where it's, like, are we also, like, doing a disservice to our sons? By not raising them in a more equitable household, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm not, I'm not saying that we like let's like let's not blame the men. Totally blame the men. They are very much like active in their own victimization. But like, let's like do better. Like, as well. what does it mean for our children to see this? Right, and like grow up thinking it's right. Okay. And yeah. like just because like if you don't like okay. I know there's some households where, like, the moms, like, won't let their kids do anything because they want to be able to baby them. And that's bullshit. Like, you're not setting your kids brown up for success. Brown households. Brown moms with brown boys. Yeah. Like, you're not setting your kids up for success. They should not be 30 years old before they learn how to make something for themselves. Like, And we shouldn't, like, 
I don't, I think a lot of people who are reading, commenting on this article, like, were kind of like, well, why don't these women just fucking leave? And like, that that's not a choice for everybody. And, and that's hard. And I get that. And um, also leave to where? Like, yes. Like, all men are fundamentally kind of like this. Like, this happens in workplaces, too. Like, the amount of men who just expect women to clean up after them, whether it be, like, presentations, whether it be, like, the coffee machine or whatever, mm-hmm. like, they just expect, a, like, a, a level of just servitude just because that's what they're used to. Yeah. So, like, where do we escape to? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's true that, that a lot of women don't have a choice. I think that if financially you have a choice, you got to take those kids and go. <laughs> if, like, sexuality-wise you have a choice, you know what the right choice is. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, like... But who would, who would like, choose to be with men, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, that's a good question. Um, this is this is evolution. That's, that's for, like, this another podcast episode, I think. That's, like, a very long philosophical yeah. conversation. But you guys should go read the piece. We'll put it in our show notes. There's also, like, a sort of, not companion, it wasn't meant to be a companion piece, but it's a good thing to read it, which is about how queer couples um, do this kind of labor division. And it, it's really just about, like, how different the communication is, that how different taking initiative is, and really just the fact that, like, I think queer couples feel like they have more of a choice. Like, they're making active decisions together, and and that's what kind of maybe prevents a lot of the resentment and the sense of feeling trapped and feeling like there's no way out. Um, so no nuzzer, but men fucking suck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no nuzzer, but men are really underwhelming and they should get their shit together. Get your shit together because we don't want to have to do it for you. Or call you out on a podcast like this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This episode of The Cardamom Pod is presented by Gajal Magazine in partnership with Listening Party. You can follow the crew on Instagram at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. And you can follow Gajal at Gajal Mag. I'm your host, Anushka Patil, and my co-host is Nadia. Our producer is Aziz Adib. Music provided by Serene Patel. We'll talk to you all soon. Keep an eye out for evil eyes. <laughs>